0: Welcome to the Falk Salem podcast each month we will bring you a mix of operational announcements and clinical pieces to keep you up to speed through our monthly podcasts our goal is to put the tools and education right in the palm of your hand by keeping you up to date we hope that we can empower you to continue bringing exceptional medical care to the city of Salem and beyond any and all material we release has been edited to comply with HIPAA standards.
1: Thanks for tuning in for the August 2020 episode of the Falk Salem Podcast. My name is Cole, and together with my partner Dustin, we have some great content lined up for you this month. We will start with some general announcements, then we are proud to bring you a message from our own Dr. Clothier, our medical director, followed by a segment where we will cover some topics from the QAQI meeting held at the end of July. This month, we have a story spotlight where we're going to interview an employee about a call that they had run. And finally, we will talk briefly about the August Zoom trainings and some frequently asked questions. Announcements for August, 2020.
0: First, I'd like to acknowledge our new hires. Their names are Sonia, Dan as paramedics, Andrew, and Drew as TLP. Drew has been around for about a month, but say what's up and make them feel welcome. Show them the ins and outs of what we do. Next is our upcoming September trainings. Cole and I will be putting together another Zoom training on hidden traumas. The dates we are going to be hosting these Zoom lectures are on Tuesdays and Thursdays, the first two weeks of the month. So September 1st, 3rd, 8th, and 10th. Tuesdays will be at 10 a.m. and Thursdays are gonna be at 2 p.m. Be sure to enroll in Target Solutions. We will send you the invite on the day of. Last month's trainings went very well with minimal hiccups. It lasted around an hour and a half If you attended these trainings, please fill out the survey at the end. It will help us grow and build better trainings. I also want to encourage the EMTs to join in on these trainings. You're a huge part of the team and the more you continue to learn, the better EMT you'll be. I want to extend a huge thanks to everyone that came to our blood drive. We had a huge day. We were able to get 24 units of blood that can help up to 72 people. If you would like to sign up for our next one on September 2nd, Just go online, find our drive, select a time slot, and you can do it on the app as well. Come talk to Cole if you need any assistance with anything. Lastly, I like to touch on our PPE. Please use your assigned North P100. The 3Ms are for backup only. The reason being is that we do not have any replacement filters for the 3Ms, so once they get all wore out, we have to toss the entire mask. If you deploy a 3M, please contact Cole or myself. Give us your north so we can fix it, and then bag up the 3M so we can clean it and put it back in service. We're still looking for a reliable source for N95, so please be patient with us. We understand how tiresome they can be. Thank you for all you do. Remember that COVID burnout is real. It's in our faces 100% of our time. We gotta stick it out to the very end to assure to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe. Keep that positive mental attitude, vent your frustrations, talk to your coworkers, friends, and family. Helping each other decompress is a big part of staying mentally well. Stay safe, my friends.
2: Hi, everybody. Cole and Dustin asked me to include a brief message. I don't promise that I'll include something every month, but I'm grateful for the opportunity to do it from time to time. My message for you at the beginning of this is that you are thought of. When the pandemic first started, I spent a lot of time working with your leadership, working through what might be the best way to do our jobs in a way that would keep you safe. It was not easy, you all know that. It still isn't easy. There was new information every day, most of it erroneous. There still is. It's exceptionally difficult to make decisions that affect people's lives. I didn't want to put any of you at risk. I wanted to come up with something to protect you while you work, to make you as safe as possible. But as you know, there were no simple answers then, and there still aren't any now. We all just go to work, do our best with the equipment we have, and try to help people as best we can. That, of course, is no different than what we do every day, even before the pandemic. It's what we've always done. We go into difficult, even impossible situations. It's cold, wet, dark, stinky. It's 3 a.m. I ask myself, how can I make that easier for you? The answers are difficult they often come down to simplifying or clarifying protocols making sure you have the right equipment trying to make a foolproof system i promise you every change we make every checklist every medication it's all designed to help you be successful in your work i thank you for your patience as we work to get this right and i ask for your help please give us the productive feedback we need that will help us make the improvements in the meantime stay safe and know that i think of you all every day and try to make sure I'm doing my best for you so that you can do your best for our patients. Thanks.
1: Here are the general notes and feedback from the QAQI committee meeting that occurred at the end of July, 2020 with Salem Fire, Falk Ambulance, and Salem Hospital. Salem Hospital attended the meeting And brought out uh, some new innovation that they are going to attempt to start testing here over the next few weeks and the next few months. Uh, You might see that the PFC is asking you to wait outside of the hospital if you're performing an aerosolizing procedure like CPAP uh, or if you are giving a NEB. uh, While they bring out what kind of looks like a big plastic tube or tent that will be used to cover the patient. The overall intent of this is so that you do not have to quit uh, performing that aerosolizing procedure as you're moving from the bays into a isolation room. Uh, Remember that if you are with a patient, especially during any sort of an aerosolizing procedure, we need to be wearing full PPE. That includes everyone who is with that patient, especially if maybe you are just driving and you brought the patient to the ER a good way to remember what you should be doing is to match the PPE to any of the responders that are in the back of the ambulance. This might mean that you need to redon your gowns, your eye protection, your mask, but if you're going to be with that patient and helping to bring them inside, you need to match the level of PPE that you're with uh, with any of your other responders. A note about our physio uh, monitors, the Pack 15s. Remember that if you're gonna be using the pacemaker function on your physio monitor, you need to have a four lead in place as well as the quick combo pads on the patient's chest. During utilization of the pacemaker function, the quick combo pads are delivering energy and you won't be able to see the underlying rhythms or establish whether or not you're getting good electrical capture with all of this. Uh, You have to have the four lead in place. So anytime you're going to be attaching the quick combo pads, it's always a great idea to attach your four leads so that you have full functionality of your cardiac monitor. Along with ensuring that you have your 4-lead in place and your quick combo pads in place, be sure to hit the lead button on the front screen of the monitor and rotate the leads away from the paddles and go to 1, 2, and 3, or maybe 2, 3, and AVF so that your picture is actually picking up what the 4-lead is recording and not attempting to read through the paddles during pacer function. Uh, furthermore, remember that anytime we're performing a cardioversion in the field, this is going to be done at 360 joules and not at 100 joules as per ACLS. So anytime we're doing cardioversion in the field, start at 360 and remain at 360. Uh, a reminder here about some good tenants of patient care. Remember that this is all about teamwork. If we have a sick patient or a potentially sick patient, everyone who arrives should be working together Uh, towards moving that patient along towards definitive medical care. Keep those resources on scene. Slow down. Make sure that we're covering all of our bases. Get that good 12 lead. Spend the time establishing that line and working together or at least making sure that we have the whole history and the whole story with that medic-to-medic pass-along report. Uh, This really helps us to provide the best safety net for the patient and ensure the best possible care for everyone that we meet. So use your resources and use your uh, team members there to help keep us successful. A reminder here about Push Dose Epi. You know, its indications are for hypotension as a result of RSI or analgesia or as a maintenance procedure if there's a underlying reason why that patient has hypotension or with something like the, uh, a patient who's suffering from cardiogenic emergency. Uh, we're going to mix push dose epi by uh, taking one milliliter of 1 to 10,000 epinephrine. So that's going to be um, that box epinephrine. And we're going to mix that within 9 milliliters of saline out of a flush. Now this is going to bring your concentration of that uh, vial to 10 micrograms per milliliter inside of that syringe. Label that syringe and keep an eye on it as you don't want to accidentally use the contents of this syringe as a flush. And once we recognize the patient has uh, some hypotension and the indication is there to uh, give them a push dose presser, we're going to push one milliliter or 10 micrograms of that fluid at a time and then monitor that patient for blood pressure changes. If we need to administer additional doses as needed in order to bump that BP up and to keep them um, perfusing, you you may need to give them another dose here after three to five minutes and re-dose over the course of transport. Overall, we want to remind you guys to keep this tool handy, to review it, to practice it, and to prepare for using it. We are seeing indications for our more critical patients out there, so keep this in mind. It's a good tool to have in your toolbox. Uh, Something else we're noticing here with QAQI is that people are doing a great job following the cardiac arrest protocols and overall as a system, uh, we're getting the patient on the autopulse and placed at 30 degrees, including the whole bundle of care protocol in just a matter of a few minutes from the time of patient contact. This is really great considering this is a new protocol for us. So We want to say good job with that. Remember to keep cleaning up your vitals, matching up your times with your flow chart and uh, with your vital signs, and be sure to attach those good-looking 12 leads as well as the concerning 12 leads to corroborate your EKG documentation in your chart. For this month, uh, we're going to be doing a spotlight protocol, and that spotlight protocol is going to be addressing bruise or a brief, resolved, unexplained event. By definition, this is an event that lasts for less than one minute in an infant who's less than one year of age. That's associated with at least one of the following. An event that causes cyanosis, a absent, decreased, or irregular breathing. An episode that has marked changes in muscle tone, that's hypertonia or hypotonia an episode that causes altered level of responsiveness. However, after that episode is resolved, the patient must appear well and at baseline health during the EMS evaluation. Um, The treatments follow airway and respiratory protocols, obtain and document any complications of pregnancy, birth date, or gestational age at birth, fever or recent infections, prior brew episodes, or underlying medical conditions. Obtain and document a description of the event, including symptoms, any inciting events that may have occurred, or any resuscitation attempts before EMS arrival. Place the patient on a cardiac monitor and follow any dysrhythmia protocols as needed. This may also include running a 12 lead and looking for cardiac anomalies like ventricular hypertrophy. uh, Assess blood glucose levels. Transport via ALS to an emergency department, even if the infant currently appears in no distress. Contact online medical control if parents or caregivers cannot be convinced to take the ambulance to the ED for evaluation. Some notes and precautions. A brew is a group of symptoms, not a specific disease. Brews are common in infants under one year of age, but may occur up to two years of age. Many infants appear normal by the time EMS arrives. Consider non-accidental trauma in your differential diagnosis. Serious underlying causes can include pneumonias, bronchiolitis, seizures, sepsis, intracranial hemorrhage, and even meningitis. Bruises are more frequent in premature infants and infants with other health conditions such as cystic fibrosis, bronchiolitis, and congenital heart disease. That concludes our updates from QAQI.
0: I'm here with Brad to have him talk about an interesting experience he had on a call. Tell us a little about what happened.
3: We responded to a EDP patient. Patient was found unconscious, came to. Patient started reaching for multiple objects, sharp objects, uh, sharpened pencils, a pocket knife, and a screwdriver. I was able to get uh, the pencils and the pocket knife away from the patient prior to the patient getting a hold of them. Uh, patient did get a hold of the screwdriver and an instant reaction of mine uh, was to automatically pull object away from patient uh, to ensure that the scene was maintained safely. Do you have any experience in anything like this? I have training in the sense of 14 years of martial arts that I fell back onto. Like I said it was just an instantaneous reaction to get the in this case the weapon that the patient was using away these sort of run-in-the-mill calls I think we can get pretty
0: complacent and sometimes forget that our scenes can turn very dangerous very quickly Brad was on the ball with disarming this patient and ensuring everybody's safety Salem fire was so impressed with Brad that they contacted Bill and the supervisor and Brad was given a challenge coin great work Brad
1: as Dustin mentioned earlier, we had our first four uh, distance learning online Zoom lectures here in August. And we've compiled a list of frequently asked questions from all of your questions that happened over those uh, four classes, and we wanted to bring you those uh, answers here so everybody gets access to the same information. So our first question here uh, was about specifically about cyano kits. Uh, and if the uh, battalion chiefs are carrying pre-mixed bags of cyanokits or if they are carrying the reconstitute uh, package uh, like what we viewed in the training video. The answer is that it is the reconstitute medication. This is going to be a powdered form of that medication inside of a glass vial. Uh, the whole kit kind of comes together but does not include uh, the saline that is needed to mix that medication together. So we need to gather a precise dose of 200 milliliters of saline and using an aseptic technique or sterile technique, mix that saline into um, the powdered form of the cyano kit vial. Once we have that all uh, set up, then we need to agitate that vial, but it is not to be shaken. It needs to be inverted and it needs to be swirled, but it should not be shaken up like a protein drink or something like that because uh, that will promote foam. It's not as reliable. Um, it actually might even make the, uh, the medication less effective. So swirling it, inverting it uh, for a matter of a few minutes uh, to make sure that we have full reconstitution of that, you need to use the supplied drip set that comes with with the uh, setup because that drip set contains an inline filter. Because we are taking a powder and we're reconstituting it with saline, we need to ensure that we're not delivering any solid masses into the patient's bloodstream. So that filter is critical. It needs to be in line there. Make sure you're saving the cardboard box that the whole thing comes in because it turns into a IV hanger for that glass vial that you're reconstituting this medication with. Then that whole IV line is gonna piggyback into um, another IV line that's hooked to a regular bag of saline and is then going to be administered to the patient. Something we did not bring up, but has come up here with a little bit more research and training, do not administer other medications through the, uh, any of the same ports that the um, cyano kit is being administered through. Uh, actually the medications like fentanyl and dopamine which may actually be part of the continuity of care if uh, Um, somebody might end up needing it especially the fentanyl for like a burn patient if that's a potential issue. Um, Fentanyl reacts negatively with cyanokids. So what this really looks like is our cyano, cyano kit needs to go in its own line with some piggybacked saline uh, so that all of that uh, stuff is going in one side and any other medication should be going through a separate IV line. And that 5 grams of the med is uh, delivered over 15 minutes um, or uh, pediatric dosing on this is going to be uh, 70 milligrams per kilogram uh, delivered in the same regard. Uh, the next question I have here is, Uh, overall how to study the protocols and how to improve overall knowledge of those protocols. First off, I wanted to say is that it is okay and should be encouraged to look up a protocol and to reference the protocol and to double check yourself during a call when you're on the call. Double check yourself, look and see what's going on. Maybe there's a pitfall there, or maybe there's something that might uh, help to illuminate something or open your eyes on something. Just trusting your memory alone might open yourself up to making mistakes or problems. So I want you to feel comfortable with grabbing the protocol book, looking stuff up, corroborating your information, and double checking yourself on that call. At bare minimum, look it up after the call and use that as a great benchmark uh, on how you're judging yourself and how you're doing or maybe what you could have done better next round. Um, Now as far as improving your knowledge overall, I want to challenge everybody here to study the protocols each and every one of their shifts. Spend 20 to 30 minutes each shift actively reading and reciting these protocols to yourself. Read and review the words and look for the nuances of the things in there that kind of make you say, huh, that's interesting. Um, And now if we're looking at our schedules here and if we're considering we're doing 30 minutes a shift um, every single time that we're on duty, that ends up being about two hours a week. That's about eight hours a month or 96 hours a year potentially spent actively learning the protocols, actively improving our knowledge, actively refreshing that information. We're talking 30 minutes, like read it while you're eating your lunch you know, read it while you're, you know, maybe listen to some tunes or something like that. But set up some study time, even with your partner. Challenge each other and quiz each other on the protocols. Learn them like flashcards. This will help you both to become more knowledgeable and more versatile as responders and even help to perhaps, you know, teach one another about the areas that we struggle with and help us to even get better. The next uh, part that we have on there is a reminder about where we put in our information here to document medication errors or document uh, strange occurrences that might occur on a call. Um, Remember that is going to be a uh, form that's called an unusual occurrence report and you're going to find that on ePro. You look for the self-service tab on the left hand side it's green in color select forms and reports then click the drop down and look for the UOR. by submitting that report it notifies the people uh, that need to be in the loop with this Dr. Clothier and Matt and other folks like that Um, and that's going to be mandatory that any medication error or even a near miss we need to make sure that we're getting that uh, turned in uh, no later than the end of your shift if not right after the uh, call is over that the medic uh, error occurred in Uh, next question we have is regards in regards to albuterol for hyper-K about giving uh, albuterol during hyper-K as part of a potentiation of the action of calcium gluconate. Um, And overall, just to reaffirm that yes, um, after we've given the one gram of calcium over five to 10 minutes by drip, Um, If we're still not seeing a resolution of the bradycardia, we still have the peaked T-waves, we still have that symptomatic patient, we're not seeing that marked improvement that we're hoping to see, you need to contact online medical control. We may indicate a few different uh, treatments here, perhaps glucose and insulin, if it happens to be available to you, Um, or 10 milligrams or high-dose albuterol uh, to be given to the patient via nebulizer. Or even uh, application of sodium bicarbonate. Now when we're talking about the albuterol here, this can take a while to set up and administer, especially if the patient has an advanced airway in place and requires us to use an inline nebulizer to set that whole process up. So looking ahead, being comfortable with our protocols, looking at these sorts of nuanced medication administrations, If we're dealing with somebody who our differential working diagnosis on this is hyper-K, we're administering our one gram and I'm building my drip. If I can communicate that to my partner and have them go ahead and build out a albuterol nebulizer, have it ready to go with 10 milligrams of albuterol, starting to set up that inline nebulization sort of a piece, If the calcium works and this is resolved, great. We were just ready and we had a good safety net in hand. If it doesn't work, we're immediately ready to contact uh, online medical control. And if they give us the green light, boom, we can turn it on and we can make sure that we're potentiating that calcium gluconate um, much faster than getting permission and then starting to build out the uh, inline nebulizer. Uh, The next part that we have, uh, the question was, are you providing a copy of these slides for everyone to review on their own? And the answer to that is gonna be yes. Um, A little bit obscurely though. Uh, We will distribute a link um, to these slides and the calculations for self-study if that's needed. But what we're really gonna try to do is provide a self-assignable target solutions uh, makeup uh, to this particular course. So if you missed the Zoom classes or you wanted to take the course again, you could actually self-assign the course to yourself and then review the PowerPoint watch the videos, do some things like that on your own um, and on your own time. Uh, So we're going to put that together and we'll get it posted. Lastly, on Target Solutions, there is a great class that goes into a much deeper dive on legal aspects of medication errors. It's one of the CAPC certified courses that you'll find on there and is already available for self-study. It covers case law, it gives examples of how to write narratives and document the situation. And it really talks about culpability of a misdocumented med error. You know, we may eventually see this as part of our mandatory yearly curriculum. But for now, I really want to highly encourage everyone to delve much deeper onto this topic, complete that CAPSE course on medication errors. Um, This is great CE hours, and it's going to serve you really well throughout the rest of your career. Thanks for listening to the Falk Salem podcast. We welcome any feedback you may have. Or, if you have suggestions for future content, please send an email to nicholas, that's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S, dot Vaneps, V-A-N-E-P-P-S, at falc.com. Thank you for all your hard work, and have a safe shift.